Yep, kids, you guys are dismissed. Your class is back there. Brandon is going to be leading our class. You know, one thing at this church, we're a family church, which is why you see whenever Gina does the announcements, we have our kids kind of up and, you know, running around up here. But um, one of the things that I was passionate about with the teaching team, we have a team that actually teaches as a team. We meet every single week. And I told everybody that if you are going to preach at New Life, you must also go in the back and serve in a kid's class. And so Brandon is doing that as part of the teaching team because I think so many times if we have our best teachers, right, we have the people who come up here and who teach, but if yet we're only teaching to those in here and not to those in the back, like what are we doing? They, the kids belong. They are the, who the kingdom of God is for. In fact, in order for us to reach into the kingdom of God, we need to become like them. How many times do you remember as a kid where you almost kind of feel like I have to wait until I'm an adult because I can get the cool things? For us, we have to become like them to get the cool things in the kingdom of God. So super passionate about that. I will be in the classroom next month. And I don't know, since, you know, I don't know, we'll buy some fun stuff. The kids aren't even here, so I don't have to talk about bribing them, but we'll do that. So, well, welcome to New Life Church, where our mission is to advance God's kingdom in ourselves, our families, communities, and the world. I want to start by asking a question this morning to everyone. Have you ever had a time in your life where you feel unimportant? Have you ever had a time where you feel unworthy? Have you ever had a time where you feel no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to get to where you want to get to without falling and stumbling and failing? Have you ever felt like a failure before? I have good news for you. If you have ever felt this way, that God has made a place specifically for you. In fact, not only has he made a place for you, the only way for you to get to this place is to feel that way. We're talking about the kingdom of God in this series. And if this is your first time in here, you'll notice that it looks quite different from a church building. We have tables that are set up. I've been successful so far in shortening my messages to about 15, 20 minutes. And we have some discussion questions that we're going to do as we interact together. Something that just a little bit of a different flavor that we're doing here. Last week, we actually changed our method. It, how crazy was it the snow last week and everything else? I remember how it used to be such a big deal for us to cancel in-person services and to go online, but 2020 has prepared us well. It was like, eh, not a big deal. We'll just go ahead and go back online to what we are doing. Um, so crazy this uh, past year. I thought the quarantine life was over. Um, but we talked about last week about how this upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And I used a picture of a seesaw in the sermon where the values of the world don't seem to align with the values of the kingdom of God. And as you raise up in the, to the world and you begin to value what the world values, you begin to move lower in God's kingdom. We looked at a, a passage where James and John, both of them asked that they could have a place of honor in the kingdom of God. And Jesus told them that the only way you can get there is by becoming a servant and by serving others. And so we see that if order for us to become greater in the kingdom of God, we need to lower ourselves according to what the world views and what the world values. Well, today what we're going to be taking a look at is the greatest sermon ever preached. 
We're going to take a look at a passage, and it starts in Matthew 5, called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has his teachings together. And we're going to look at a very specific part called the Beatitudes. Anyone know what Beatitude means? It's a word if you've been around in church for a while, you've heard the term and don't really know. It's actually a Latin word meaning blessing. And so what Jesus does is he starts this teaching by pronouncing blessings on the people. So we're going to take a look at this passage. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew 5. Before we get there, it's important to note, I think it will help us interpret this passage if we look at the crowd that was actually there. So I'm going to read in Matthew 4. We actually see the people that were surrounding Jesus on the side of this mountain. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Everyone say kingdom. Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, suffering with severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures, paralyzed, and he healed them. So imagine this. In those days, 2,000 years ago, you didn't have welfare. You did not have Medicare or Medicaid. If you were sick or paralyzed or diseased, you were in the outcasts on the dregs of society. It was not a pleasant experience for you in those days. These are the people that are flocking to Jesus and being healed. So as Jesus is teaching, you see kind of the dregs of society, nobody that anyone would want to hang out with in those days surrounding Jesus. And this is the crowd that Jesus is about to pronounce blessings to. Quite a different makeup from those who usually would sit and listen to rabbis teach. Very different crowd. And what he does is he begins to teach them. I'm going to read just a couple of these blessings, and I'll read them, them more. This is what he begins to do with that crowd of misfits. He begins to say things like, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And he goes through this list, and he pronounces these blessings. Something that's really fascinating is that what Jesus is doing here is a very common way rabbis would teach. They would start their teachings this way. Jesus didn't invent this way of teaching, saying you are blessed if you fill in the blank, blessed if you fill in the blank. Rabbis from all around this time period taught the same way. The, now, they would have different nuances to them, but that is a familiar teaching style. If you were to think of today's teaching style, if you go to a Western church, typically you would do something that I typically do as well. You would have, if you were to do an outline of the teaching, you would have the introduction, the scripture, three points, and the application, right? You kind of go through that. If worship went a little bit along, maybe we'll only have two points about, uh, in there. If I just want to go completely crazy, maybe I'll do four or five points and be here for an hour. That is kind of the structure that you see. So in the same way in those days, rabbis would teach with this very same structure. And it's based on God's word. In Psalms 1 verse 1 said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked. Psalms 119, blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Blessed are those who keep his statutes. And so this is important for this very reason. 
there was a, another rabbi about 100 years before Jesus, a very famous rabbi. People would, in those days, knew who this rabbi was. His name was Jesus Ben Sira. We know him now as Ben Sira because you don't want to confuse Jesus Ben Sira and Jesus Christ of no relation. And he taught this same way with blessings. We have his writings today. However, the way that he taught was very different than Jesus. I think sometimes if we only are steeped in the words of Jesus, they become familiar without us realizing actually how different his teachings actually were. So I want to read to you, we have some writings of Ben Sira, chapter 25, verses 7 through 8, in the book of Ben Sira. Listen to these and see if there is something, a distinct difference between these teachings and the teachings of Jesus. The book of Ben Sira. There are nine who come to mind as blessed, a tenth whom my tongue proclaims. Blessed is the man who finds joy in his children. I agree with that. It's great. Blessed is the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue. And blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. This is the way those teachings were with rabbis. Very similar teaching style, but yet radically different message. Blessed is the one who outlives and sees the downfall of his enemies. Jesus had something to say about enemies, right? And about how we should bless our enemies. Blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. We saw last week that the only way to get to the kingdom of God is by serving those who are underneath you. And Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. Jesus' message back in those days and today is radical. It does not match with the values of the world. It is so different. I want to read through the rest of the Beatitudes here. As I read through them, if you've been in that place of brokenness, if you've been in that place of feeling as if you just can't win no matter what you do, maybe you're in that place right now for those in this room or watching online. Put yourself in that place, the place of those who heard Jesus, the outcasts of society who weren't in the popular crowd, didn't sit at the popular table, and listen to the words that Jesus says over you. Verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, Jesus' message back then and today is so radically different than every other teaching. You are blessed when you are 
on the outskirts of society and you are mourning and you are poor in spirit. You just feel like there's nothing you can do to increase your station in life. See, Jesus did everything wrong. Rabbis didn't teach in the open countryside on street corners. They were in places of honor. They had their academies that were very difficult to get into. They didn't teach to families. We're a family church. We have our families and kids in here during worship. And you know what? If a kid cries or a kid comes up here during worship, we roll with it because that's what Jesus did. That wasn't normal for them to do. Women and children were not taught in the presence of rabbis. Rabbis looked at the people of the land, the workers, the shepherds. That's where we get the term pastor is the idea of shepherd, right? Well, the shepherds had no place in the kingdom of God, according to the rabbis. They weren't allowed to be taught. Jesus, when he came, he centered his entire ministry on them. His entire ministry on the outcast. See, with each one of these beatitudes, he's painting a picture of the type of person that would enter the kingdom of God. Think of like a stained glass window. Ever seen those where you have all the different pieces together? And Jesus, through his beatitudes, are painting this beautiful picture of what it means for someone who is walking and entering into the kingdom of God. I think I can illustrate this. There's a two artists that do some really cool type of work. Their names are Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And what they do is they make installation art with garbage. So they go and they get pieces of scrap metal. They go into dumpsters and they make these pieces of art. Can we get that first the picture of the art? So you look here at all of this garbage that they find, just things that are there in junkyards. And they create these amazing sculptures. How many of you would love to have this sculpture in your house? I'm not seeing anybody raising. Adam in the back. Camelon's like, nope. You see, they have this garbage that they just full and put into it. Sometimes modern art is a little weird. I, you know, I don't know if you can do it. And so, I don't know, you can imagine going to a very expensive gallery, right? Everyone dressed very well and seeing this type of art that's there. And you'd be like, I think I get it. That's cool. <laughs> I feel like sometimes when we read the Beatitudes, this is what happens, right? We read these things and we're like, is that what you really mean, Jesus? I, I guess I can kind of see some, I guess it's cool. I'll, I'll put it in my bathroom. I guess, you know. And we have this picture, but what we don't understand of what Jesus is doing is that he is looking at this from a different perspective. All this garbage and trash that's put together, as we look at it, we're like, that doesn't quite make sense. Jesus has a perspective that we don't have. If you were to go to this very expensive art gallery where Tim Noble and Sue Webster's art is, you would see this artwork, and they'd shut off all the lights, and then a spotlight would turn on, and then you would see this, the second picture that you can put up there, Blake. You'd see from a different perspective the, what these artists do. They make insane shadow art through this garbage. And you look at this picture and you could see how strategic every one of those pieces together form to make this piece of art here. And they have so many different amazing 
just portraits that they have. This is a small one. They have other ones with just lots of different views. See, when we read the Beatitudes, when we hear from Jesus, you know, the way that you go to greatness is by serving and giving up your rights and serving someone else. We could say, really, Jesus? I guess. What he's doing is, is he's looking at something from a different perspective, a perspective that we so desperately want to see, that we're not quite there yet. And then Jesus comes through life and shines from the angle that he sees, the way that God sees. And all along, there's something amazing in the background that Jesus is doing. There's been so many commentaries about the Beatitudes, so many different sermons that talk about these. And even as I was doing some research, I saw some people say, well, this is Jesus' Ten Commandments, right? These are the Ten Commandments that Jesus actually does just for the New Testament. As I was looking through some of these and studying, I don't know if that's the most accurate picture. I think sometimes we can think as we get into these attitudes, well, it's like, well, I guess it says that I need to be poor in spirit. I guess it means that I need to be sad. So I'm experiencing a little bit too much joy. So let me whip myself and become sad and become humble again. Right? I don't know if these are meant to be followed literally like a commandment. The way that I think that we should look at these beatitudes is very similar to how we look at the fruit of the Spirit. We did a series on the fruit of the Spirit earlier this I guess this past year, and we talked about how if you want to get the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, the way you get them is by cultivating that relationship with God. That if you walk in the Spirit, the fruits are just a natural consequence of what happens. I think as we look at these Beatitudes, as we look at the humility, and we look at the countercultural way that Jesus is talking that these attitudes that show up are evidences that the kingdom of God is advancing in our hearts, that we would become people who mourn the state of our sin, that we would become people who are meek, people who choose not to go out there and to assert our will on others that we would be people who would hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right relationship. You ever been hungry and thirsty before? It's not pleasant. When you see injustice in the world, you hunger and thirst for that justice to happen. That we would be people who would show mercy, that even though we are allowed to do something against somebody else because of they wronged us, that we would be merciful the way that Christ has been merciful with us. The way that our hearts become pure. So we're going to spend some time talking in our groups in a little bit. I wanted to quickly address the first one, poor in spirit. As I was reading through some of these, I think most of them are these uh, examples. They're, you know, intuitive to us. Intuitive, is that a word? Intuitive to us? It feels wrong. All right, thanks. Sometimes, I know, 
I'm without, whenever I speak, and when I don't have that little squiggly red or green line like in the word, I'm completely lost. Sometimes I wish I had that. Some of these come more intuitively to us, but poor in spirit is one that's just a little bit kind of difficult. And um, a way to think about that, this Greek word for poor is really fascinating. There's several words for poor that um, Jesus could have used or that the um, authors could have used in Greek as he's teaching. This word poor, the root of that word is a word that describes somebody who is hunched over, kind of cowering in the fetal position. So if you were to think of the example of what that would look like of us in this room, if there was somebody over in the corner, just kind of in the, in the fetal position laying down, that's the picture that as Jesus is using that word poor. And you're like, what does that even mean? See, it conveys a picture of actually a beggar, somebody who is cowering. You know, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody who asks for some money because they're poor, they can just say, hey, would you mind just giving me a dollar just to help me out? But the way that Jesus is talking is you're dealing with somebody who is on their face, can't even look at you with the cup out, just saying, please, just help me with something because I can't do anything. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here. Somebody who is begging, someone who is in that position, destitute for spirit. And spirit's used the same way. Brandon, who was up here for a ministry moment, he had a cheer career. He was a cheer coach. I can think of no better kind of example of the opposite of someone poor in spirit than a cheerleader. Think of a cheerleader and poor in spirit are the exact opposite. A cheerleader is somebody who gets up and is happy and is jumping around trying to encourage people. Someone poor in spirit is off in the corner just beating their chest, just realizing I just, there's nothing that I can do. It's more than just realizing that you're a failure, but it's realizing that, man, I have failed and there's nothing I can do to save myself. In our groups, on one of the questions, Jesus gives us another picture of someone who's poor in spirit that we're going to discuss. That's this picture before. I don't know about you. There have been times in my life, some sooner than I would like to admit, where I have felt poor in spirit. Just laying there and feeling like, man, I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> There's just nothing that I can do apart from God, apart from his grace. I started by asking that question today, if you've ever felt unimportant, if you have ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get to where you want to get to. I love looking at the kingdom of God, Jesus' central message when he was on earth. What I, one of the many things I love about it is that in his kingdom, all of that stuff that you think excludes you, all of that stuff that you think disqualifies you, in Jesus' world, it actually qualifies you for a place in that kingdom, that he has built that place just for me. And in fact, the more we lean in to some of those areas and allow him to come in and transform our hearts, the higher we move up in the kingdom. Because I think the world, much like our good old friend Ben Sira would tell you, you know what, you're off in the corner, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and just get over it, and then you'll be blessed if you can live longer than the people who walked over you, your enemies. You know what, you'll be blessed if you don't have to serve anyone else like that again once you pull yourself up and move on. And Jesus is saying, allow me to pull you up. Allow me to find you and to elevate you. Because in my kingdom, 
the last will be first. So what we're going to do, if you're joining us online, we have a Zoom link. Can we add that Zoom link? My social media director. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a period of time of discussion with these tables. So we want to be able to do this socially distanced. So do me a favor if you're at a table, make sure your mask is up. And these tables are five feet across. So if you're just sitting there, you are more than six feet across there. And we're going to do this in two different, um, two different um, sections. The first question is going to be go through. We'll have about 10 minutes or so discussing it. Then I'm going to come back in, and then we'll wrap it up, have one of our groups share. And then we're going to do the second section here. And again, these are here to serve us. Um, and the goal is, is that we can connect together and that we can really begin to delve into this concept of the kingdom and discuss. So why don't we go ahead and do that? If you're joining us online, get on that Zoom link. And then we'll get together in a couple minutes and talk about what God is doing. Oh, if you can leave the stream up for a minute, Adam, just on black, and then we can uh, have that, uh, that link there. So, all right. See you guys in a minute.